0: Good evening, family. See, for the next few weeks, uh, myself and the other Sunday night preaching gang, uh, we're going to be working on a series together. We're going to be talking about transitions. Uh, the The reason for this uh, should be pretty obvious to most of us. The congregation as a whole is going through a transitional period uh, after, thir- after three plus decades of service from this pulpit and to this congregation in God's kingdom, Bill is stepping aside for someone else to, to fill this role, uh, to take up the mantle as the, as the preacher for the Saudi Church of Christ, and to build upon the foundation that has been laid here. And so, we want to uh, look into God's word and listen to what God has to say to his people as we are in the midst of transition, so we 'll be looking at stories and examples from scripture to see what God is saying to His people. so this transition may have some of us uh, a little bit a little bit concerned um, i 've heard uh, some apprehension from people talking about you know what 's what's happening in the Saudi Church of Christ and what's going to be happening in the future, there's a little bit of tension that comes naturally from the unknown. We are uh, uncomfortable with what we don't know. And because of this, this, this change and this, this lack of surety, um, we may sometimes be, be led to fear. And in, whether in this transition or in other transitions of our lives, this is a natural thing that happens. Whether it is a happy transition, like this morning after lunch, we celebrated the graduation of our seniors. Our high school seniors are transitioning out of, uh, for many of them, life at home or life at a familiar school in a familiar setting, and maybe moving to a different city, or maybe going to a different campus, and they're going to be farther from home, and there's a little bit of internal tension there there's a little bit of uh nervousness about that sort of transition or uh for tabitha and i we just got married that's a big transition there's a lot of things that you know i don't know what it's going to be like to live with her she doesn't know what it's going to be like to live with me and there's this little bit of tension at the beginning of this this change that we have to address and for many people as as you bring a child into your life there's a lot of things you don't know there. and There's a lot of, of, of nervousness that may, may be felt when, when things like a child is brought into your life. Or there are other transitions in life with changes in health, either by accident or sickness or aging, or, or moving away from loved ones because of, of financial situations or, or a job, or, or many different things where there's a lot of tension with, with moving or with a personal loss, whether it be a job or, or someone that we love uh, graduating to glory and, and, and leaving us here on this earth as they pass on to heaven. All these things bring to us a, a, a feeling of, of tension, a feeling sometimes of fear. And in times like these, we become consumed with what-if questions. You know, what what if what if things don't go the way i expect them to uh, what if i don't like the way things turn out what if i what if i'm not good enough what if i fail and we begin to worry worry is a sin stop it we don't know what the future holds and we might question how we ought to respond or, or how we ought to take action. Uncertainty leads to doubt. And doubt can lead to fear. For four decades, imagine this, for four decades, Moses led the people of Israel. He is called out of, of being a shepherd. And he goes to the most powerful man in the world, a man that he may have very well grown up alongside. And so here you have two men who very well may have known each other. One, to his people, in his culture, one step away from godhood. The other one probably smells like he stepped in something. Moses is a shepherd, and you have Pharaoh, king of his realm. And God sends Moses to Pharaoh and tells him, to, tells him to, defy, to defy Pharaoh and to bring out his nation's source of free labor. And, and through miracles, God works through Moses, through the ten plagues and, and then through the crossing of the Red Sea as God parts the sea as Moses holds up the staff and the people of Israel pass through to safety Moses acts as an intermediary between Israel and God. And they go from being just an ethnic group of of oppressed people to being on the verge of nationhood. And in this time, Moses acts as their judge. Uh, Through the wisdom of his father-in-law Jethro, he establishes what would be more or less the foundation later for the Sanhedrin. this this council of, of older men. Moses started that. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. Moses brings down the Ten Commandments. Moses is the law bringer. He established centuries, millennia of religious tradition and practices. And when the people of Israel would oppose or murmur against Moses, God stood alongside Moses because Moses stood alongside God and God would discipline the people. So in Deuteronomy 34 starting in verse 5 so Moses the servant of the Lord died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord and he buried him in the valley of Peor or sorry the the valley of the land of Moab uh, opposite Beth Peor but No one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed, his vigor unabated, and the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. Then, when the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended, Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. And there is not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Imagine that. After forty years of, of not just leadership doesn't quite encapsulate what Moses was doing for Israel. He was shepherding them. In difficult times Moses would cry out to God and he, he would say, you know, am I am I their mother? Did I birth these people? You know, why why am I saddled with all their baggage, Lord? And Moses, through the power of God, carried them through the wilderness. And that's where Moses died. And that's where our story picks up. With Joshua. If you would turn the page over to Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore... and courageous. Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. See the context here, it opens up and even the the opening of the book very much is centered around Moses. You know, the, the timing is after the death of Moses. The role of Joshua is Moses' assistant. The the, uh, the promise that God speaks to. He's, he refers to Moses, the law, again, coming from Moses. But it's God speaking. And he's speaking to Joshua and telling him that it's time for a transition. There are two major things happening here for the people of Israel. The first is they're going from being a, a, a group of, of nomadic peoples wandering in the wilderness, living in tents, and just trying to stay alive. Now God is providing for them. He is giving them water. He is giving them manna from heaven. God is protecting his people. But living in the wilderness was a struggle. But it was a struggle they'd endured for a generation. For many of them, people my age and even older. That's all they would have known. But Joshua, he, he wasn't a law bringer. He had gone up with Moses toward Mount Sinai, and as Moses came down, you know they heard the sounds in the camp, and and Joshua thought it was war, and Moses says, "No, that's music, that's dancing. We need to go check that out." Moses, see, Joshua was he was removed from the sin of the camp as the people went after the golden calves, but Joshua he wasn't. He performed some religious functions, but primarily, when we read through the, the first five books of the Bible, when we see Joshua in, in, in Deuteronomy and in Numbers, Joshua is a military man. Joshua is a conqueror. Joshua was over the military. And because of Joshua being put in this, this, this position of, of leadership, as being the new intermediary between Israel and God, Things are naturally going to change. You see, Joshua, his role is not to fill Moses' shoes. Joshua's role is to fill Joshua's shoes. It's a new job. And in this transition, Joshua marks the entry into the land. The fulfillment of a promise that goes back centuries, all the way back to Abraham, when God promised a land for the people because of Abraham's faith. And Joshua was going to be the one who helps fulfill that promise. God is giving them this land. But who is Joshua? Who are the people of Israel? They, they may have been millions strong, but you have people in this land that 40 years ago when... Joshua and Caleb and others went over there. Only Joshua and Caleb were the ones that thought they could do it. Everybody else was terrified. Here you've got people with strongholds, with fortified cities, with with armies, with probably far better weaponry and, and capability than the people of Israel had. But God doesn't mention that. God doesn't speak to the capability of the people of the land. God tells Joshua... Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. See, God is no respecter of persons. Moses didn't get special treatment. Just as God was with Moses, he's going to be with Joshua just the same. God isn't going to abandon you. Moses may be gone. But the one who made Moses, who he was, is with you. So God says, "Be strong and courageous." Now, here when we look at these these, these first nine verses, we see a pattern, and it's kind of a one-three-one pattern. You have you have God saying, "I'm going to be with you. Be strong and courageous." Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. I will be with you. That matters. These kinds of, the repetition for the Jewish people was very important. When you see things repeated in scripture close together or even in separate areas, these are are signposts for us to, to look at what is important, what the main idea of this text is. And so... The strong and courageous is bookended. It is is began and it is ended with a reminder of God's presence. Why can we be strong and courageous? Because God is with us. Joshua is going to be God's instrument. Joshua is going to be this engine of change that's going to bring Israel into the land and if you are the people of Israel, you can imagine what that must have felt like. There must be this excitement of, of we're not going to be stuck wandering in the desert anymore. We're going to be entering into a land that is, that is fertile, a place that, that we can be provided for. But it's not going to be deserted. It's not going to be the Garden of Eden. They're going to have to fight for it. It's going to be difficult. he tells them to be strong and courageous and that God is going to fulfill his promises. God will do what he says. So again, God says again to Joshua, be strong and courageous in verse 7. This is the second time that he says it. Why? He says be careful. He He says only be strong and courageous. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. The the idea of the strength and courage that God is commanding of Joshua is tied with following God's word. Why can we be strong and courageous? Because we follow what God has told us to do. When we follow God's plan, we can be bold. He has to lead Israel, not just in conquest, but... In service to God. Joshua's greatest struggle, I don't think, were the Canaanites. I think his greatest struggle were the Israelites. They were a stubborn, malcontented group of idol worshipers at times. Even already before they had entered the land, they were already struggling with the gods, the Moabites, because of Balaam. See, Balaam, you know, the guy with the talking donkey, remember him? You know, he's he he goes to prophesy against Israel and he can't do it. He can't prophesy against the people of Israel. Just the Spirit won't let him. And, and so he goes to the kings who have, have contracted him and have paid him to, to, to prophesy against these people, and and so when he goes to them, he, he can't do it. He, he keeps failing, keeps blessing the people of Israel. He goes back to them and says, look, the only way you can defeat this people, you've got to get them away from their God. So you've got to introduce your gods to weaken them. And so they began to to send in... People to, to pollute the Jewish people and to pollute their faith and to draw them with temptations away from God and to weaken them. So, already, even before the end of the land, they're already struggling with idol worship. And that doesn't just mean the golden calves, it's also the gods, the people of the land. Obeying God is key. And obeying the word of, of God, it, it's not magic. You know, it's not if we, if we just check off the boxes, we're going to have this great outcome. You know, it's, it's not this, this, this... Sometimes we talk about God's Word as being a manual for our lives. And, and while it, it does provide us with, with guidance and wisdom for us, I think the, the, the allegory of a manual sometimes takes some of the life out of the, the Scripture and of the stories and of the, the, the Word of God. The word of God is so much more than a set of rules. It's so much more than a manual. The word of God is life itself. We go back to the beginning of Genesis. When God brings forth life, he does so through his word. So God's word, it's not magic, and it's not a trade. It's not like, if I do this, then you'll do that. If you look at idolatry. In any form, in any culture, religion is transactionary. If I bring this altering before, insert idol, insert false god here, then you will agree to do this. One of the, the most interesting things uh, I have kind of seen in, in, in studying history is in, I think it might have been Athens or near Athens, they were digging around a temple to Apollo. And they found a golden foot. Why in the world would you make a a golden foot? Probably because there was something wrong with your foot and you wanted a really good foot. You you are making a trade with Apollo. You know, I want you to heal my foot. So I'm going to give you this really, really valuable foot so I can have a valuable foot too. It's a trade. Following the word of God is not a trade. It's not like, well, God, if you make my life easy, I'll be really good. I promise. God's not Santa. God's not a car salesman. God is God. God's word is a relationship. That's why when when Jesus prays to God, he says, our father. The the Aramaic word, Abba, Abba, Father, Father. it, It is best translated, not as father, as a formal title, but as daddy a relational term, a term of closeness and endearment. God's word, his, his commands for us, what he has to say for us, to us, is not a set of, of rigorous regulations or, or, or commands handed down as from a commander in the military to, to, to privates that he doesn't know. This is a father talking to his children, telling them to do what is best for them. You see, God is is working. Thus, there's a need to align ourselves with the one who has the power. If we take part in God's work, we take part in something that is so much greater than ourselves. And that's what God is telling Joshua here. He says, he says to, to, do, to be careful, to do according to all the law, not, not just as, as box-checking, but as drawing close to the one true God. And God says that this will bring him prosperity and good success. And we know that through reading the rest of the book of Joshua, that is certainly what happens. When the people of Israel fall away from God, as with Achan when he took things from Jericho, you know, if they, they follow what God says, they march around Jericho, it goes exactly. The way it needs to. They they devote to destruction all the things that they needed to destroy, except for Achan, who stole back some, and then they go to Ai, a city that is that is not even worth considering. It's nothing. Joshua barely sends up a small detachment to wipe out this this little nothing town, and are just beaten. It's 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 a tragedy for the people of Israel, and Joshua falls on his knees and cries out to God, and God tells him you need to figure out what happened here. And he tells Joshua how to figure out what happened here. And Achan's sin is discovered, and when it is corrected, Israel has success again. God says, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. He changes something there. He doesn't just say, be strong and courageous. He adds to this a, 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 a command to don't, to don't be frightened. Don't, don't be dismayed. Why? Joshua is the commander of the military. Joshua has killed kings. Joshua is, is probably one of the most dynamic and, and powerful people in Israel in his day. What does he have to fear? You see, everything that Joshua has done up to this point... He's been getting it from somebody else. You know, when when Joshua was in Egypt, he was a slave. He was told what to do. After the Exodus, he was Moses' assistant. He's Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Like, you you look at him throughout Scripture and, and other books, and that's how he is referred to many, many times. He is Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. You know, if he had a business card, his job title is assistant to Moses. And Moses is gone now. That, that that person that he was was close to, his mentor, his his friend, is gone, and he doesn't have that relationship anymore. That person that he entrusted in isn't there to help him. Isn't there to 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 breathe confidence into him? But it's not about Moses. Because before Moses was ever born, God was there. God was there before Israel was Israel. Back when Israel's name was Jacob. Jacob, which means heel grabber or cheater. God was there back before Abraham was Abraham, father of many nations, to just Abram, a man named Father who didn't have any kids. God was there before Adam had clothes. God was there before there was light. God's always been there. God's always going to be there. And God says, don't be frightened, don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God will go with you wherever you go. God is here. I said all this to say this. I want to be very clear with this. I am not saying that Bill is Moses. I am not saying that the way things used to be, whether here in the Society of Church of Christ or, or anything in your life up to this point, is your Moses. What I am saying, or, or you know, along with that, I am not saying that whoever is to come next is Joshua. I am not saying that. I'm saying that we are all Joshua. God is speaking through his word to us telling us to be strong and to, to be courageous and that God is with you. When the apostles in Acts were were being oppressed by the by the Jews and they were being told not to preach the gospel, what do they pray for? Do they do they pray for for you know God please please let this this, this persecution relent, you know, please make this a little easier for us. This is getting hard. We're getting arrested. We're being we're being killed. No, they pray for boldness. Boldness. Do you, do you believe that God is with you? Yes. Do, do you believe that God is faithful concerning his promises? Of course we do. Because we have faith. We can be Encouraged. Before you leave here this evening, I want you to look at maybe somebody here who you're sitting with or or somebody else. Before you leave this building tonight, I want you to look somebody in the eye and tell them, be strong and courageous. Because we see at the end of this chapter, at the very end of chapter 1, verse 18, the people of Israel are answering Joshua And their words to Joshua are only be strong and courageous. You see, the people of God need to encourage one another with the words of God. Romans chapter 8. Verse 26. Paul says, Likewise, For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he's also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? If you've heard the gospel and you believe that Jesus is the resurrected Son of God, and and you want the confidence that comes with the knowledge that you are on God's side, I want to invite you to be baptized. Because through the washing of baptism, we put on Christ. It says that in Galatians chapter 3. Or, or if you feel the need for the prayers of the saints, if, you, if you've been baptized, you can, you can come forward without fear and with boldness and confidence, knowing that you are loved not just by us, but by God. So we invite you to do so as together we stand and sing.